if I was going to launch an e-commerce business today, it would need to have a subscription part of that business, you know, and, I, and that's what I'd focus on. I'd focus all my acquisition efforts on that subscription side of the business. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we are dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I'm your host, Annette Grant. And we believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you are struggling to scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. And let's get on with the show. On today's episode of Honesty Commerce, we welcome Nathan Resnick. Nathan is the founder of Sourceify, and we discuss sourcing, manufacturing, and all things e-commerce. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honesty Commerce. I am Chase Clymer. And today, we are welcoming to the show uh, the first guest that I got at Unite. I definitely picked up a lot of new friends at Shopify Unite two weeks ago. So today, we welcome to the, uh, the show Nathan Resnick. Nathan is the CEO of Sourceify. And I'll let him kind of tell you what that does. But first, we're going to go back way before Sourceify. Uh, what were you doing then? Totally. Yeah. I mean, Chase, thanks so much for having me on. Super excited to be here. Um, you know, my background actually stems in China. So 10 years ago, lived over in Beijing as a foreign exchange student uh, with the host family, didn't speak English, attending a local Chinese school. And that was for a full year, really just became so captivated by the culture, the language, um, and also the power of these factories, you know, how products are produced. So 10 years ago, I started importing my own products and selling them on eBay and Amazon, became really just captivated by products and how products are produced. So um, realized that in manufacturing and in supply chain, everyone has to ask, you know, how do I find the right factory and how do I manage production? And right now, pretty much every company does that over email and Excel spreadsheets. So we've got some pretty badass software that brings a supply chain online to enable you to understand what's going on and have fun in, in, in time being of doing so. So really excited to be here and dive in and you know, let's, uh, let's take it from there. Absolutely cool. So let's let's talk about the culture shop getting dropped into China uh, as a foreign exchange student. I've heard that's the best way to learn a foreign language. Totally. Yeah. I mean, what I realized, you know, I started studying Mandarin my freshman year of high school and just became so interested in the language. So uh, my mom had heard of this program. Shout out to School Year Abroad is what the program's called. And they do like homestays around the world. Um, and my neighbor had done a homestay the year before me and just came back with such an amazing experience. So she basically told me, hey, you should apply to this. I got in and was sent over to live with a host family for a year. And so it was so eye-opening. And this was you know, 2010, um, where you know, really China hadn't become as globalized as it is now. So people would you know, really look at you just in interest of what you're doing there as a foreigner. And it was such a fast pace. I mean, it still is such a fast you know, paced country that grows uh, so much. And so it was such a interesting dynamic. I mean, I'd come home from school some days and be like, you know, hey, mom, to my host mom, what's what's for dinner? And she'd be like, oh, check the sink. And, you know, there'd be live fish in the sink. I'm like, all right, I guess we got, you know, fresh fish or um, whatever it may be. And, you know, when we first started selling online, we actually would go to these markets in Beijing, like the silk market or pearl market. And, you know, honestly, we would just buy knockoff products. 
um, all sorts of polos, all sorts of you know apparel. We did the Beats by Dr. Dre headphones, and you know our margins would crush it um, selling and reselling those products online. And you know obviously it was illegal, but we were in high school and didn't know better. And it wasn't until you know college till university that I really. Uh, began to understand the power of creating your own brand and private labeling and you know creating your own products. So that's you know really what we focus on nowadays. But you know for me it's just been a learning process. You know step by step understanding the culture, the country, how products are produced. I mean I think you know really the craziest part of a product that most people overlook is the pieces that go into it, the components that go into it. Like when people come to us and they say, "Hey, I want to produce T-shirts." I could ask them a hundred questions about what kind of t-shirt they're trying to produce. I mean, I'm talking the fabric, the trim, the cut, you know, the Pantone. There's so much information and details that go into a product that's often overlooked. And so we try to simplify that for a lot of people at, at Sourcefy. But you know, at the same time, it's something that I've just been so interested in the past 10 years. And then the other part of it is transparency. You know, there's there's no transparency in production right now. Like if company A and company B were to go to the same factory trying to produce the same product at the same quantity levels, they'd get back two different price points. And so for us, you know, part of our mission is bringing transparency to uh, supply chain and enabling companies to understand how much they should actually be paying for their products. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't been to China. It's definitely one of those on my list. And I'm I'm definitely... When I go, I'm going to hit you up for a lot of recommendations. Dude, you got to come with me. I mean, I was there nine times last year. I'll be there six times this year. I'm going in two weeks if you want to uh, hop on the plane. I'm going the other direction to Hawaii in two weeks. Oh, <laughs> that sounds nice too. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So let's let's talk about those... Uh, you know, In that high school, uh, doing the eBay thing. Uh, did you guys ever build up your own Shopify store or something else? Uh, or are you guys... Really capitalizing on those other markets, places like yeah. At that time, we were just capitalizing capitalizing on the other markets. Um, you know, I think I first launched my Shopify, my first Shopify site when I was nineteen. Did you know just over a hundred thousand dollars the first year? I mean, this was like kind of I think this must have been two thousand and fifteen, maybe two thousand sixteen. And it was when like you know Instagram was just starting to take off, so there's so much organic traffic and reach on there. Facebook still had a lot of organic traffic. So it wasn't as hard, like you didn't have to spend as much money to acquire customers, which is awesome. And you know, influencers would be like, Yeah, send me the products. I'd be super happy to post about it. Whereas now they're like, Hey, you know, also pay me, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars and I'll take some photos. You're like, All right, wow, you know, it's got a bit more expensive. So those were, you know, the days and, and I started, you know, launching my own hats, watches, sunglasses, backpacks. I mean, you know, pretty much any fashion and fashion accessories we were doing. And then I became really close and helped launch some, you know, pretty big brands now, like, you know, original grain watches or Vincero that that do, you know, some awesome volume. And you know, it's really amazing to see those companies, you know, hit that, you know, mid kind of eight figure mark there in revenue. Cool. So are you now uh, are you now focused on just Sourceify, or do you still have some of those smaller ecom brands that you launched? You know, uh, with the amount of moving parts we've got going on at Sourceify, it's my complete focus. It takes up uh, more than enough of uh, my life, I would say. And though I love e-commerce and would be really interested in you know growing and launching my own brands, I think number one, it's it's a bit of a conflict of interest in some sense because at Sourceify we produce in over three hundred different product categories. So if I were to launch my own brands, you know, I don't want to step on any of our customers. And you know, I have 
complete respect. And, you know, we've got non-disclosures with a lot of our customers too. So um, it's just not something that's in my ballpark right now. But, you know, at the same time, I came from the e-commerce world. You know, that's how I got into this was mostly focused on the supply chain side. And, you know, I think it's so interesting because when I talk to a lot of e-commerce founders, everyone stemmed from the marketing side of the business. You know, they came from the digital marketing world or the paid acquisition world. And that's, that's definitely a crucial part of your business. But let me tell you this. If you look at the billion dollar plus valued e-commerce companies, let's look at Harry's, let's look at Allbirds. You know what sets them apart is their supply chain. They are actually owning their supply chain. You know, Harry's initially raised money to buy a razor factory. And Allbirds is completely vertically integrated with two Korean shoe factories. And so when you look at their growth and you look at how they've been able to, you know, really take over their respective markets or at least grow significantly in their markets, I believe a lot of it stems from their supply chain. And yes, their branding and paid acquisition and all of that is, is on point. It's a huge, huge part of their business. But I think what's overlooked really in the e-commerce world a lot of times is that People focus so much on their online presence and their ads, and they forget about you know sometimes investing in their products and really creating amazing products and also supply chains they can rely on. You know, I think the balance in an e-commerce company comes down to cash flow. You've either got too much money in inventory or not enough money to spend on paid acquisition, and it, it sucks being in both worlds. You know, you're either running out of inventory, you're like, crap, I can't get products in for another sixty days. What am I going to do? And now you've got to air freight products in. Well, I'm sorry, you didn't plan your inventory well, and you didn't understand the lead times of your factory. And other balances, you know, uh, spending, you know, or, or having too much money in, in in inventory, and that you know comes down to planning as well, and really, you know, looking at the data. So, I mean, I I, I love having conversations like this because you know when I look at e-commerce and I look, when I look at some of these companies, I look at the full picture. You know, I come from having a supply chain background, but also having run my own e-commerce businesses where I know what it takes to acquire customers across channels and to do so at scale. You know, you've got to have the data in your supply chain to back that up. And that's what I think a lot of companies are lacking today. Absolutely. Uh, actually, so it's funny, on the way up to Toronto, Two weeks ago, I listened to um, a podcast, How I Built This, that actually had Allbirds on it. Uh, and hearing that story and just how long he had been working on that business uh, before everyone else had heard about it. You know what I mean? And it's the one thing about kind of like the flywheel effect. Once things start get, getting going with these businesses, and then all of a sudden, there's this new groundbreaking, disrupting business on, the, on like the horizon... All you hear about is that like last nine months where they they've had that explosive growth. You don't listen. You don't hear about that last ten years. Totally prior to that when they were building that company yep. and, and putting in that hard work. Yeah, I mean, even look at you know um, uh, Jen Rubio from Away Luggage. You know, she was on How I Built This too. And you know, when they launched, the reason why they launched and started with those travel books is because they didn't plan out production correctly. You know, they didn't know it was going to take that long to get those suitcases in, those those pieces of luggage in. And so that's why they had to launch with these travel books as, you know, pre-orders on suitcases. You know, was it pretty smart of them to do that looking back on that? I think so. But at the same time, I mean, they didn't plan to launch travel books when they first started. They just had supply chain issues. And I and I think too, you know, looking at their company, I think there's a lot more that they could be doing if they you know, had their supply chain completely under control. And, you know, you see the people that they've hired and that they're hiring, a lot of it 
is on the supply chain side of their business. You know, Away is going to become this lifestyle travel brand that doesn't just do luggage. They'll do apparel. They'll do all sorts of travel-oriented products. And that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's the direction that I think they should take as a brand. But you know, at the same time, if you're a company that wants to expand across product categories, you, know, you either need to hire up that expertise, which is very expensive, or you need to work with a company like Sourceify. So it's, it's really a, a balance, I'd say. In, in an e-commerce business, you know, there's two you know, main ways to grow, I would say, because at the end of the day, one product's not going to get you to a billion dollars in revenue. You're typically going to have to diversify across SKUs and different product categories. And so you've got to be able to you know, source products uh, very fa- fast and in an agile manner. Absolutely. So let's kind of talk about that. I know that uh, a lot of the businesses that are listening to this podcast, they are in those early stages, they're finding their initial wins, they're finding their their target demographic, their audience, you know, they're they're getting those sales, getting that product market fit. When should I start really thinking about taking my products out from being manufactured by, you know, my friend down the street here locally to start thinking about more bulk orders, about custom fabrication per se? Like when should I start thinking about that stuff and when is it good for yeah. my business? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, being completely honest, I would say you should never have, you know, your friend down the street manufacturing your products. I mean, if you really want to grow an e-commerce business that does a few million dollars in revenue or, you know, 10 plus or, you know, really something that you can live off of and do full time, I think you should always start with going overseas and investing some in, in product. I mean, you can do a minimum order production run overseas of like, you know, like, is the price point going to be the most competitive? No, because it's such a small production run. But at the same time, is it going to set you up to be able to grow and scale at the rate that you should be scaling? Yes. You know, is your buddy down the street going to be able to make, you know, 10,000 units when you start to grow in the amount of time you want? Probably not. Um, And then you're going to have to figure out that hurdle then. It could be a barrier to growth. So I would say from the get-go, you want to start looking at really scalable ways for production. But then when you're trying to expand your business, let's say you've got that one product that's winning and you now want to grow revenue. Well, think about ways that you can expand revenue around that product. Like, What kind of upsells or cross-sells can you have either pre-checkout or post-checkout for that product? And that's where you should start looking to grow revenue first. You know, don't necessarily roll out completely different products right off the bat, but understand what kind of products fit in to the customer demographic that you're targeting and see what would be a good fit for an upsell or cross-sell. And that's a key component of launching that out. I wouldn't you know, necessarily launch out a whole new category before having some products that you can upsell and cross-sell in the same uh, product, product category. And like a great, you know, really simple example of this, I mean, maybe not as simple, but for example, let's say you run a watch brand. Well, you could add custom engraving to your watches just by buying an engraving machine that costs maybe a few thousand dollars. You know, you sell, I don't know, a few hundred watches. All of a sudden, you've paid back the machine and the rest is basically profit for engraving. I mean, it's super cheap to engrave a watch. So something like that, you know, figure out ways to really increase the order value, I think, right off the bat whether that be through you know, adding more value to your existing products or through you know, products that you can run as cross-sells or upsells. Support for our podcast comes from our friends at Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your e-commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms, so setup is quick and easy. 
Simpler's network of on-demand US-based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution. No hidden fees, contracts, or minimums. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler specialists. Start your free seven-day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I slash honest. I mean, I know that your knowledge is is everywhere, not just specifically sourcing, though. That's where you're you're really bringing it to the table. Uh, what are some other things that these uh, younger entrepreneurs in their journeys should definitely be thinking about as they kind of go down this path and they want to hit that you know sustainable business where uh, you know some of these people might just these might be side hustles that they're bringing into full time or these might be their full time jobs and they're not seeing the margins that they really want. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a great question. I would say right off. I mean, think of numbers. You know, outside the brand and outside of kind of your online presence, e commerce is a numbers game. You know. To be profitable, your you know acquisition costs have to be under your margin. And I would say most high growth e-commerce brands, you know, they're running at ninety plus percent gross margins. You know, you look at movement watches; they produce that classic like you know black and red watch that they really scaled up with for under ten dollars. You know, about nine dollars and fifty cents or so, um, and they sell it for a hundred bucks. You know, it's a great margin to have. Strong acquisition built in there. Have you know some operating costs, have fulfillment costs, have you know duty costs. There's a lot that goes into that you know all in landed cost, and so you've got to have those margins in there to uh, really have it make sense for you. So I would say you know at the end of the day, you've got to have a strong enough margin to grow because if you're running 30% gross margins where you're you know paying $70 for a product that you're selling for a hundred bucks, I mean you don't have enough margin in there to grow, and so. I would aim for at least a 75% gross margin on all products that you're trying to sell, or at least have a way to get there. You know, saying, okay, I know if I order 10,000 units in my you know third production run, I'm going to get to a 75% gross margin uh, and be able to continue growing that margin as you uh, increase production volume. Yeah, that's fantastic advice right there. I've seen a lot of businesses that we've consulted with personally uh, at here at Electric Eye or even like you know other places that where. We get into the numbers, and we're just like, you guys can't afford this. Mm-hmm. Just in general, like, and then it's like, this isn't uh, this isn't a conversation for an agency. This is a conversation for your business. You guys need to go talk about this and right. make some decisions. Yep, yep, exactly. And I mean, it, it takes you know, it doesn't take that much time really to sit down and understand your numbers. I mean, the simple math that you want to do is okay. You know, what's your gross margin? Which is basically what are you selling a product at minus what it costs you to produce it, then you might want to add on the duty, you might want to add the freight cost, might want to add the actual shipping cost from your 3PL. And then you've got to figure out, okay, what's my range to acquire a customer? You know, is it going to cost me uh, or if I spend $40 to acquire a customer, like am I going to be profitable on the front end? And if you aren't, well then what's the lifetime value of your customer? How can you extend the reorder rate? I mean honestly like even looking at um the Pure Vita bracelets acquisition that happened like two weeks ago, you know, the Pure Vita they did $68 million in top line revenue. They netted you know, under $4 million uh, on that 68 in revenue. And it's like, wow, you know, their net margin is so slim. Um, and they sold for you know, $75 million for a majority stake. I think all in, maybe the founders will make you know, probably over 100, which is awesome. I mean, for that business, it's fantastic and it's a great exit for them. But you know, at the same time, like, 
yeah, it's amazing to see that their revenue is, you know, pretty solid. But at the same time, like their net is just so slim compared to their top line growth or top top line revenue number. And I think a lot of that kind of is just around the amount of money that they're paying out to scale. But one mention that they really brought up and that, you know, some of the cool articles about that acquisition focused on was their subscription box. You know, they've got this Pura Vita, I don't know what they exactly call it, but it's a subscription box for their bracelets. It's $15 a month. You get, you know, a few bracelets. And not only does it enable them to have sustainable revenue, but it also enables them to forecast production. And when you're a company that's having to put you know, money in the inventory like they are, it enables them to forecast that production spend so much more effectively. And so if I was going to launch an e-commerce business today, it would need to have a subscription part of that business. You know? and, I, and that's what I'd focus on. I'd focus all my acquisition efforts on that subscription side of the business. Absolutely. I think that another thing to consider when you're talking about your top line revenue and your margins is if they're not where they need to be, just raise your prices. Right. No one's no one's saying you can't. I think a great example of that is Netflix raises their prices like every six months, it seems like. And they publicly state, we don't care. The people that people that want this service are gonna stick around. Totally. And the last three times in a row, I think they've bet on themselves and done that, and they've came out more profitable with losing people subscribing that day, but still with the new rate, they're still net positive, which is curious. So that's like a good example of just raise your rates. You might lose some some customers, but who cares? Yeah. And I think in the e-commerce world, you know, it's such a balance because I mean, price doesn't always reflect quality in some sense and doesn't necessarily reflect the value. I mean, price should reflect the value of the brand. I mean, you look at luxury brands, that's why their products are priced so high. So if you want to create a luxury brand, you shouldn't be selling your products for, you know, a tenth of what, you know, LV or Gucci or whatever is selling at. So think about that too. And then think about the revenue numbers you want to hit. You know, if you're increasing your pricing by X amount, well, you know, now maybe you only have to sell X amount of products to get to that revenue mark. So it's it's definitely a balance that you should look at. And I, I do think increasing pricing is is a good way to grow. Yeah, but I wouldn't say uh, trying to get a ninety nine percent margin is the best. If like you have a terrible product, your reviews are going to state that, and you're not going to see what you want in the long term. Totally. Yeah, and I mean, even like think, like talking about uh, reviews, you know, there's that review platform uh, Yapto that you know they've been increasing pricing left and right, and now I think they focus on more like enterprise accounts and like you know it's a great business, but you know there's a lot of uh, companies out there that, you know, box reviews and even on Amazon, you know, there's a lot of fake reviews out there too. So there's, you know, ways to create perception online that uh, make it so people see what uh, they want to believe. Yeah. I would just always say like, don't do any of that black hat stuff. Always, always try to do it the right way or you're going to get caught and it's going to actually going to end up costing you more than uh, the gain you made on kind of skirting that. Yeah, totally. Cool. So you've been in this e-commerce game for a while. Uh, what, what do you see on the horizon for you know 2019, 2020? I know you were at Unite and you saw some of their really cool announcements. Yeah, but... totally. I mean, um, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is their fulfillment centers that they're starting to launch, and you know, the numbers they presented at Unite are extremely bullish. I mean, I honestly. Don't necessarily know if I believe that they'll be able to pull those numbers off, especially if they want to grow a fulfillment network like that. I mean, they're basically saying that they're going to have 
99.9% accuracy on pick and pack at scale, which I mean, not even you know Amazon FBA does, and they've been doing this for a few years. Um, no fulfillment company in the world is able or is doing that. So we'll we'll see what happens as they scale up. I mean, they say they ship like fifty thousand units, which is nothing. I mean, you know, ship Bob and ship Monk ship that in you know half a day uh, or less. So it's something that's going to grow. I think it's a very smart move by Shopify. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it's a great move by them. Um, and I'm fully on board with it. But you know, at the same time, I just think some of the initial claims that they're making are are really bullish and sets expectations very high, um, which is you know maybe a bit of a marketing play. But but we'll see how it goes. And you know, I also know our partners, you know, that run fulfillment companies like ShipBob and ShipMonk. Um, I think I'm actually rocking the ShipBob hat uh, right here too. But you know, it's such an interesting ecosystem and fulfillment is such a crucial part of, of an e-commerce business too, because you don't want your customers to be waiting too long for your products and you want to have a great fulfillment experience too. And they say, you know, with their fulfillment network that they're going to create kind of a partner fulfillment ecosystem where there'll be certain space dedicated to Shopify at these fulfillment warehouses. But I think that's going to really complex things quite a bit because it means it won't be under their control. I think what's really going to end up happening is they're going to invest more and more in their own warehouses and compete more with uh, these other third-party logistics companies. So we'll see where it turns out. But I think that will really come to play more so in 2020. And they'll start to invest more and more in that. And then you know, one of the most bullish kind of estimates that I would See them rolling out with is honestly their own marketplace. You know, if they control their own fulfillment, why wouldn't they create a marketplace for Shopify merchants as well uh, to compete directly with Amazon and the marketplace that they have there? Yeah, that'd be a wild one. I know that uh, they're scaling uh, kind of those integrations on the back end uh, and really opening stuff up and making the platform a bit faster as well from like a development standpoint. They're pushing everything towards GraphQL, if that makes any sense to you. So it's it's definitely getting built out for fun. Actually, at the day of this recording, though, uh, I think Cloud Cloudflare went down this morning, and there's all sorts of stuff happening. <laughs> so that was fun. But yeah, I think I think the the fulfillment network was one of the biggest things that like caught my attention because it was out of left field. Mm-hmm. Was not anticipating that at all. And then they finally let us edit orders, which is was a giant pain point for any yeah. like any actual merchant. That was a big pain point for them. Uh, which then became a headache for me saying, yeah, there's like nothing you can do. Right. Yeah. No, I totally. don't have that conversation anymore. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it's also cool to see how much uh, innovation they're able to bring to the table at the scale that they're at. So, you know, they've really got a strong team team there that's uh, rolling out these features. Cool. Awesome. Well, first of all, Nathan, um, before I get to the last question here, I want to give you a minute to talk about Sourceify because you're giving us time to talk about all your knowledge. I want to let you kind of talk about like what's the best uh, fit for you guys. If if who, if, if our listener uh, heard heard you talking just now and uh, they think that they want to reach out to you, uh, what's kind of what kind of customers are you guys looking for? Yeah, totally. I mean, we work uh, across the board. I mean, that's the beauty of what we do. We work with some companies that are just doing a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue. We work with some. Excuse me, some Fortune 500s like Amheiser Bush doing some of their B2B merchandise. So it's all across the board. I mean, that's really the beauty of what we do. And what our goal is, is to make sure you're working with the right factory, giving you price visibility. So we typically get you, you know, two to five price quotes across Asia. We've got our own offices in China, Vietnam, India, and Pakistan, um, run production in pretty much every country in Asia, which is uh, a lot going on, as you can imagine. And we bring your supply chain online so you don't have to use email and Excel, you can actually see what's happening in production. And 
um, you know, be data driven in your supply chain. So it's been, you know, really fun just seeing all the products that are produced and helping companies grow. I mean, that's really what we do. Awesome. Fantastic. Cool. And then uh, now if anyone wants to get a hold of you specifically, or I know that they can kind of read uh, where you've been writing, what's the last thing that you've uh, released? Um, yeah, I mean, we publish a blog uh, post every Tuesday and Thursday. Right now, a lot of content has been on production outside of China. I mean, uh, especially right now with what's going on with these trade tariffs, there's a lot of instability in overseas production. So it's something that we've been keeping a close eye on. Awesome. Yeah. And just for, for everyone else, he's written for Entrepreneur as well, business.com. Uh, so he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely right for some pretty big media outlets out there as well. And, you know, for us, uh, everything we do from a content perspective and just in general is as educational as possible. Hey, that's why I started this podcast. There you go. Awesome. With that, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out. Always happy to answer questions. You know, we're at sourceify.com. Um, you can find me. I'm most active probably on LinkedIn or Facebook, just Nathan Resnick. And yeah, feel free to hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing the truth. Links and more will be available in the show notes. If you found any actionable advice in this podcast that you'd like to apply to your business, please reach out at electriceye.io slash connect. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. 